Welcome to today's program. My name is Rick Renner. Thank you for letting me come right into your space today. I'm beginning a brand new series that I believe is very serious, and I'm asking that you be with me every day this week, starting today all the way through Friday. I'm going to be teaching a brand new series called The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender. We all know people that are making tragic mistakes of moral surrender. But the subtitle says, God's promise to people who help wandering saints get back on track. If you know anyone that has wandered, God can use you to get them back on track again. But the whole series is called The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender. It's five parts and it comes in multiple formats with a study guide. This series is very, very important, and I want to hear from you. I want to know what you think about this teaching. And I'm also offering you right now my book, which is very appropriate for this series. The book is called Last Day's Survival Guide, a scriptural handbook to prepare you for these perilous times. We really are living in perilous times, and people are being affected by the spirit of the age. How do we survive the spirit of the age? And how do we walk in victory all the way until the coming of Jesus? That's what this book is about, and you need to read it. This would be a great book for you to give to somebody else. The full title, Last Day's Survival guide. And I want to remind you that when you become a partner with our ministry, we will immediately send you two books as our way of saying welcome to our partner family. And a partner is anyone who regularly financially gives into our ministry to help us take this teaching to people all over the world. And people all over the world really are tuning in to hear the teaching of the Bible. Proverbs 10:21 says the lips of the righteous feed many. That's our assignment. And we do it with our partners because they put financial fuel in the tank that enables us to take this teaching to people that are crying out for it. And the moment you become a partner, we're going to send you my book called Life in the Combat Zone. I'm not prophesying the combat zone to you. You're probably already in a battle. But this book is about how to survive, thrive, and overcome in the midst of any difficult situation. And it's dedicated to partners, so we always give it to anyone who becomes a partner with our ministry, along with Denise's book, which is called The Gift of Forgiveness, a powered little book about the power of forgiveness. And please remember that if you need prayer, we're waiting to hear from you. If you'll just give us a call right now or send us your email, the moment we hear from you, we're going to release our faith for God to move in your life. But I'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Hey, today I'm beginning this brand new series called The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender. I think we all know someone who has morally surrendered and the result has just been tragedy in their life. Well, the first moral surrender in the Bible occurred in the book of Genesis. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. I hope you have your Bible. We always use the Bible in this program. And today we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And we're looking at the story of Adam and the tragic mistake of moral surrender. But in Genesis 2, verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Verse 8. 
And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, verse 9, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and of evil. Then in verse 15, we read, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Two important things here. First, Adam was to dress it, which means to modify, to cultivate, to develop, which means as good as the garden was, once it was placed into Adam's trust, God expected him to do something with it. And here we find a principle that when God gives something to us, he always expects us to take it to the next level, to cultivate it, to develop it, to make it the best that it possibly can be. And Adam was charged with this responsibility, but also to keep it. And the word keep in Hebrew carries the idea of vigilance, protecting something from some sinister outside force. And the very fact that God would use this word keep means he clearly communicated to Adam that there was an arch enemy out there called Satan who would try to penetrate the garden and take it. And Adam was to keep the garden and keep the intruder on the outside. This was God's charged to Adam, and Adam fully understood what he was to do. And my friend, you need to understand that God is a master communicator. God communicated very clearly to Adam why he was to protect it. But then we go on, and in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Notice those words. Thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And Adam clearly understood that disobedience in this matter would be the door, the door that allowed the devil to flood the earth with death and destruction, and that is what we read in Romans chapter 5, verses 14 and 17. But God had clearly communicated this to Adam. But when we come to Genesis 2.18, the Bible says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. Verse 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof, verse 20. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. Adam was looking at all these animals and observing they came in pairs, but he couldn't find, he says, where? He couldn't find his. He said, where is mine? And verse 21 says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs, the Hebrew actually says, took something from his side, and closed up the flesh thereof. Verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man with it, he made a woman and brought her unto the man. I want to point out that God did all of this while Adam was sleeping. And my friends, God is working all the time. He's even working when we're sleeping. You can claim that and declare that when you go to bed at night. Say, Lord, I know you're going to work tonight while I'm sleeping. But the Bible says God made the woman, and the word made here really means to manufacture. He produced this fabulous creature, this woman, and brought her 
unto Adam. And the word brought carries the idea of a magnificent presentation. God was so excited to present this gift to Adam. And when we come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. But notice he said, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The word woman really means manness. She's kind of like me, and yet she's not like me, but she was taken out of me. And God gave them one name. In the beginning, their names were not Adam and Eve. In the beginning, they just had one name. We know that because it says so in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2. Male and female created he them, and he called their name, their name plural, Adam. God gave them one name. Adam and Eve were both together called Adam. They had one identity and they retained one identity until the fall. And this showed God's original plan for unity in marriage. And Eve's separate identity only emerged after sin. That's when she began to feel separation from Adam. That's when she began to feel separation from Adam's authority. This is when tension in the home began. But that did not exist before sin came. Eve, the name that was given to her after the fall, was given to her not by God. It was given to her by Adam. That's what we read in Genesis 3, verse 16 and 20. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of of all living things. It was Adam that called her Eve. But then when you come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh, verse 25, and they were both naked, and the man and his wife, they were not ashamed. And it seems everything is fine until we come to Genesis chapter 3. And this is where the problem begins. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent entered the devil. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice he didn't approach Adam. He approached Eve. Why didn't he approach the man? Because the man had clearly heard from God about the real matter. The real matter was not the tree. The real matter was disobedience and obedience. And Adam's job was to keep the devil out of the garden. Adam clearly understood what the issue was. So, because Eve was not there in the beginning when God first spoke this commandment to Adam, he comes to see what does the woman really know about what God first said to her husband. And in verse 2, the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it. But then she notice she adds these words, Neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Notice those words, Neither shall ye touch it. Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 16 and 17, that is not what God said. What did he say? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying of the tree of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But Eve added the words, we can't even touch it. And it appears that Eve perceived there was something toxic or something poisonous about the tree. She did not understand it was the issue of obedience 
and disobedience. She thought we can't even touch it because there's something fatal in the tree itself. It's poisonous, it's toxic, and it means Eve had not been instructed very well by her husband. He failed as the head of his home to communicate a very important message. And from the beginning of time to the present moment, many times husbands assume that their wives understand things that they don't understand, and hence the husbands don't clearly communicate. This has always been the case. Eve did not understand the issue was obedience and disobedience. She thought the tree was poisonous or somehow fatal to their physical lives. But the real issue was obedience and disobedience to the command of God. But Eve did not understand, and her lack of understanding, her ignorance to the real issue is what opened the door for the devil to lead her off track. And I want to tell you, my friends, the Bible says God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. The devil always operates where there is ignorance. But honestly, Eve has taken the blame for this, but the truth is, as the head of his home, Adam should have clearly communicated to his wife, and he did not. Eve was ignorant, and because of her husband's poor communication skills, she made a tragic mistake. And we read in Genesis 3, 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You won't die. Verse 5, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open, and you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and listen to this, listen, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Eve did so ignorantly, but Adam did so understanding fully what he was doing. Why did he eat of the tree if he knew this would open the door for death and destruction to enter into the earth. Why did he do it? Because Adam knew that now that Eve had partaken of the fruit, she was going to die spiritually, and eventually she would die physically. And he knew that if he did not join her, he would lose her. And here is the first tragic mistake of moral surrender. He knew that if he stayed on track, if he remained pure, and she remained in sin, eventually a moment would come when she would die and he would continue living. Plus, now he is alive unto God and she is in sin, which means they are instantly unequally yoked. And Adam could not bear the thought of being separated from this woman that he loved so very much. So fully understanding what he was doing, he let down his guard, he made the tragic mistake of moral surrender because he loved his wife more than he loved God. And he reached out, and with full knowledge, he partook of the fruit. Adam fully understood what he was doing. Now listen, today we're living in what's called a woke environment. It's amazing. And Christians are under such pressure. Parents are being pressured to cave to their children when their children begin to wander from the faith or begin to embrace things that simply are not true. But parents don't want to lose their children. So rather than staying on track in their relationship with God and adhering to their faith and common sense, they're caving to their kids because they don't want to be separated from their children. Siblings do the same things with their siblings. They love their brothers. They love their sisters. 
They see their sisters and brothers now embracing things they didn't used to believe. But rather than feel separation with their siblings, they begin to cave to it. They begin to accommodate it and entertain the idea that maybe it's okay after all, when in fact they know that it's not okay. Or how about friends who cave to their friends? Their friends are changing what they believe. Their friends are changing what they do. They're adapting to this end-time culture all around them. And they know that if they remain solid on the Word of God, they're going to lose their friends. And they can't bear the thought of being separated from friends that they love, so they cave to their friends. Parents cave to their children. Siblings cave to siblings. Friends cave to friends. Or how about just fighting a woke society? So many believers today feel the pressure of society. The brunt of it all is coming against them in the media, in the newspaper, in the courts, in the education, telling them to change what they believe about sexuality, telling them to change what they believe about morality. They feel all the pressure of society against them. And in fact, They've been told that if they don't change the way they think and what they endorse, they'll be canceled. They'll just be canceled. It's amazing to me because this end-time society claims that they are tolerant of everything. The truth is they're tolerant only of those who agree with them. If you have an opposing view or an open mind that doesn't just agree with everything they say, they'll just outright cancel you and try to eliminate you. There's nothing tolerant about it whatsoever. But because some people can't deal with the pressure coming against them, some people feel the pressure from the media, the pressure from the courts, the pressure from Hollywood, the pressure from education, the pressure from their kids, they cave and they commit what I call the tragic mistake of moral surrender. It first began with Adam in the Garden of Eden. When Eve made a mistake and he knew, I'm going to live, she's going to die, I'm alive unto God, she is not. Now we are unequally yoked. And he loved her so much that he tragically made the mistake of lowering the bar, reaching out, understanding what he was doing and partaking of the fruit. He failed to be a leader and he caved to the situation. Hmm. Now let me tell you, friends, when you cave to the pressures around you, you open a door for tragedy to come into your life. That's what happens. But if you stay on target, when those people that have veered need help, they're going to come back to you. But if you cave with them, they won't have anybody to come back to for help. My friends, you need to stay on track and be a tower that they can run to when they get in trouble. But the Bible tells us in verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Verse 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Verse 11, And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Where have I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Verse 12, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest unto me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And in this verse, Adam begins to shift blame. First of all, he says, It's the woman that you gave me. He blames God. Secondly, he says, She gave it to me to eat. He began to shift blame. And today when people are caving to pressure, they blame all kinds of things. For example, they blame their spouses 
for not being more supportive. They may bl blame their friends for being a bad influence. They may blame the church. Oh, the church didn't give us enough teaching to make us strong enough. They may blame the schools. They may blame Hollywood. They may blame the social media, blame the courts, blame, 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 blame. All of these factors indeed really might play a role. But Adam was the head of his home. He was the head of the garden. He was the head of the human race. And it didn't matter what his wife did, God was going to hold him accountable. And we read about this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin, in, sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But there's something so important in verse 12. It says, As by one man's sin, by one man's sin entered the world. It did not enter through Eve. It came through Adam. Adam was the door. Adam was the head. But when he caved, it was Adam that opened the door for sin and death and destruction to flood into the garden and to flood into the world and to flood into the human race. All of this began because of one man who made the tragic mistake of moral surrender. That is amazing. But the Lord promised that he would fix it, and he did. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God spoke to the serpent and prophesied, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And in this verse, God prophesies the devil will temporarily kill Jesus, that Jesus is going to bruise his head in the resurrection. It was the plan of redemption which God prophesied from the very, very beginning. And my friend, I want to tell you, God is so good that even if you have made the tragic mistake of moral surrender, or if you know someone else who has, God will put into action a plan of redemption if you have a heart that's willing to repent and if you'll ask God to help you. He'll turn it all around. But hey, we're out of time. But when I come back in just a moment, I want to pray for you to be strong that you will not cave to the pressures or to the people who are around you, that you'll stay on track with God so that when those people need help, they'll know where they can come to find help. I'll be back in just a moment. We live in a day when many people are modifying their beliefs and tossing their faith to the wind to accommodate their family and friends. Even though these believers once stood firm on the Word of God, they are surrendering to the woke atmosphere in society today to stay in relationship with loved ones who have changed what they believe. What should you do? If your spouse, children, or friends have changed their beliefs and you now feel distance between yourself and them, in this five-part series, The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender, Rick Renner covers. The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender, Moral Surrender for Opportunity, Moral Surrender and Embracing Inclusivity and Tolerance, Moral Surrender for Society's Acceptance, God's promise to people who help wandering saints get back on track. This powerful series is available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $10. In addition to this teaching series, you can also get the book, Last Day's Survival Guide, a scriptural handbook to prepare you for these perilous times for $25. In this practical 478-page book, Rick Renner unlocks prophecy about the last days and shows you what you need to do to sail through these turbulent times victoriously. We believe you need this book. Don't miss this powerful offer. The five 
five-part series, The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender, and the book, Last Day's Survival Guide. These materials can make a big difference in your life or in the lives of those you love. Call the number on your screen now or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Hey friends, this is Rick Renner and right now, I'm standing in what's going to be the future studio for our television ministry in Moscow, Russia. Who would have ever believed that we would be broadcasting the Word of God from Moscow to the ends of the earth, but that's exactly what's happening. Romans 10:18 says their words will go into all the world, their voice to the ends of the earth, and it's really happening. And my friends, we're constructing the studio. Look at it. The walls are starting to go up. And within just two weeks, this entire building will be standing with the roof, the doors, the windows, everything. And then the work begins on the interior. And I get so excited thinking that right where I'm standing is where I'm going to be seated looking into the camera to teach the Word of God to people all over the world who are crying out and who are saying, God, please send us someone with teaching that we can trust. I believe that's our assignment. Proverbs 10:21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many. And I know our job is to feed many the Word of God, and we do it because of the anointing and because of your help as partners. Thank you for being part of the giving team that's making this come to pass. And if you're not already a part of the giving team, please, would you pray about joining us to help us make this dream become a reality? We're off to a good start, but we need to finish and we need as many people as possible to participate. So I welcome you to our giving team and I thank you in advance for everything that you're going to do. Today I've been speaking to you for my brand new series, which is called The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender. The subtitle says, God's Promise to People Who Help Wandering Saints Get Back on Track. We all know someone who has wandered. It may be your friend, it may be your parent, it may be your sibling, it may be your spouse, it may be your child or your grandchild. You can be used by God to bring them back on track. And every day this week, that's what I'm teaching in this new series. My friend, don't cave to all the voices and the pressures that surround you. You stick with the Word of God and stay on track. And when all those people that have veered mess up and they need help, they'll know where to go because you stayed on track. It is so very important that you do not veer. Remain anchored in what the Bible says and what you know is true. God will turn it all around if you'll stay on track. But the series is called The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender, and it comes with a study guide. The two of these together are so powerful because you can read it while you hear it or while you see it. And right now we're also offering you my book, which is called Last Day's Survival Guide, a scriptural handbook to prepare you for these perilous times. We're really living at the end of the age. And if you understand what the Holy Spirit said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the end of the age is going to be very perilous. And today we are surrounded by nonsensical peril. What do we do in this environment? Well, my friends, 
we can survive and we can thrive because we have the instruction from the Word of God and all that instruction is in this book and that's why it's called The Last Days Survival Guide. Order these today by going online or by giving us a call. And Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to help us make the commitment that we will not budge from the Word of God and from what we absolutely know is the truth. Help us not to cave to the pressures around us, but to remain steadfast. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there really is power. I'll see you tomorrow.